And we heard that the church is special because it's the bride of Jesus Christ. And then we followed up with, what does it look like to live in gospel community? How do we want to relate together as a church? And so if you missed either one of those, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. That's important about who we are as a church and what's so special about the church. How do we relate together in gospel community? How should we relate together in gospel community? And then over the last couple weeks before this, we've been looking at what does it look like to be a disciple? If we identify as a disciple, what does that mean? What's the claim on our lives? And then last week, what does it mean to grow and pursue growth as a disciple? And so today... We're finishing up really the third part of our mission, which is just to be, grow, and make disciples. And so today we're talking about what, is it, what does it look like to make disciples? We're going to do that a little differently than normal, and we're going to be looking at some of the objections to disciple-making. Objections to disciple-making. And if you're like me, you at some point in your life have had some time where you've objected Maybe not outwardly, maybe not verbally, but you've objected to the idea of making disciples. Anybody here ever struggle with making disciples at all? Anybody face any objections in making disciples? Well, some of the common objections that we have is that, you know, we kind of feel like we don't want to impose on anybody. Maybe that's an objection you have. I don't, I don't want to impose on someone else. I don't want to impose what I believe on someone else. And we're going to answer that objection from Scripture What does scripture have to say about the idea that, I don't know, I don't really want to impose my opinion. I don't want to impose what I believe on someone else. If you're honest with yourself, you've been there at some point in time. If not verbally, at least functionally, where you're like, "Ah, I don't want them to reject me because I don't want to impose on them what my beliefs in Jesus are. Or maybe you've objected, and we're going to cover this one as well, is I don't know where to go. He said to go and make disciples, but I don't know what that means. Where does that mean I go? Who is, the, who is the nations that I'm supposed to go to? Or maybe you've had the objection of, I don't have anywhere to go. You feel like in your season of life, you're too busy. You don't have any place to go. We're going we're gonna to look at that as well. Or maybe, maybe you feel like, I just don't know what it looks like. I'm not comfortable with the idea of making disciples because I don't know what it looks like. Or maybe you felt ill-equipped and think, you know, I don't know what it means to teach. I don't know how to teach people, so I'm not really comfortable with that idea of making disciples because I don't know how to teach. Maybe you felt that way before. I think all of us at some point in time have felt inadequate to teach. So maybe you have that objection. I don't know how to teach. Or maybe, maybe you just feel like, I just don't feel like I can. I'm in a bad place in my life, or I'm not, I'm not sanctified yet, or I've still got stuff I'm struggling with, and I'm wrestling with. I don't feel like I'm in any position to help anybody else be a disciple of Jesus because I just don't feel like I can very well. We're going we're to look at what a scripture have to say about each of those objections through God's word. So turn your Bibles to perhaps the most commonly read scripture on discipleship, and you're like, well, gee, Matt, thanks a lot. You're picking a scripture that we all will check out on. I'd encourage you not to because I think what you'll find is answers to the objections that we naturally have about making disciples. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we're going to be reading verses 18 to 20 together. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. So let's stand together and and outwardly show our worship to God inwardly by hearing God's word. Let's stand, please. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, thank you for giving us your words. Jesus, thank you for speaking this final command to us. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for showing us what is most dear and important to you before you ascended to be with the Father. God, thank you that you have all authority. Jesus, thank you that you have all authority over all things in heaven and on earth. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised as well, not only the grace of having all authority and you delegate that to us, but but you've also promised that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will always be with us, even to the end of the age. And God, I pray this morning as we look at what does it mean to be a disciple that we would have your grace in mind. The grace of knowing that you are over all things and that you will always be with us in all things. I pray for faith. Pray that you give us ears to hear and respond. Lord, I pray that none of us would feel like we've arrived or achieved or we've heard it all. Lord, I pray that all of us would submit to you and worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I guess it was about two months ago or maybe a little, little over a month ago or so when there was a lady named Holly Butcher. I've got a, a picture of her here. Maybe you've seen her picture up on Facebook or social media or Twitter, Instagram, whatever you use. She was a 27-year-old woman who had a rare form of cancer. And in her final days, she penned a letter to be written after, I mean, to be posted after her death. And on, I think it was January 4th, she lost her battle with cancer. Her family posted her letter up on social media, and it has gone viral It was kind of like there was a last lecture to students that a man a few years ago had written, but this is her heartfelt concerns, her her reflections on life as she was towards the end of her life, and she, she finished writing the letter about 24 hours before she died, and it was her final reflections on life and what she found most important and what she wanted to pass on, what she thought was essential for everybody she was leaving behind to know. It included all of her insights, the many things that she reflected on despite not having done some things that she had hoped and planned to do. She said, it's a strange thing to realize and accept her mortality at 26 years young. It's just one of those things you ignore. The days tick by, you just expect they'll keep on coming until the unexpected happens. That's the thing about life. She noted as fragile, precious, unpredictable, and each day is a gift, not a given right. She said, adding, I'm 27 now. I don't want to go. And and after spending some time reflecting on how she would live her life if she could overcome the disease, she, she shares her advice with those who get to keep on living. It's a moving letter, and it inspired a lot of people. And I think why it inspired people is because they realized that this was the last thing this woman had written. That she was in her final moments, in her final days, and she was communicating what was really important. It came from her heart, and it was meaningful. She was aware of the brevity of life, and I think for all of us, far, far too infrequently, we, we fail to reflect on, on the brevity of our lives and what's important about life. 
But even though her words are inspiring, they're more inspiring words. You see, the words that Jesus gave actually are more inspiring. And they were his final words in one sense. They were his final command. Now, they're not his final words in another sense because he's, he continues to live. He, he, he still lives today. He still speaks today. But his final command on the earth is really what we see in Matthew 28. That's his final command to us as disciples. What did Jesus think was so important that he, we, he passed along to us as, as critical for our lives to know, as critical for us to understand, to keep central before us in light of the brevity of life, what's important for us. And he gives us some things. He gives us some wonderful truths. He says, all authority has been given to me. Boy, as a Christian, that's to anchor your soul, that he has all authority. That, and then he gives us a mission and a purpose as believers. And then he gives us a promise at the end. So not only does he, he give us assurance that he has all authority, he gives us a mission and a purpose, and then he gives us a promise at the end that he will be with us forever, even to the end of the age. But why is it that so many genuine Christians, and so many of us, that I, that you, that, that we fail to actually follow Jesus' command to make disciples? Now, I think by God's grace, there's so many people here who are pursuing making disciples. This is not a a corrective message by any means. This is just meant to reset. What are we focused on? What's important? What's our mission as a church? And and what are we to be about? We're to be about disciples who are growing and making disciples. That's what the church's mission is. You know, I was talking with another pastor down in in Georgia last week. He's a pastor of a larger church, and I was talking to him about the mission of the church. And and we were kind of chuckling. There's nothing glamorous about the mission of the church. But there's something amazing about the mission of the church. Because we get to partner together in God's mission that he's about in the earth. And so that's really what Jesus is talking about. Is we have an opportunity to partner together on the mission that he is about to draw the people to himself. To redeem, to rescue a fallen sinful world. And he asks us to come along. So why is it though that so many of us don't deliberately, and maybe you don't like that word, but that just means to plan to or make room for. Why, why do so many of us forget this command why do so many of us forget these this final command of jesus you know maybe maybe you don't maybe you think i'm doing fine in this area well don't check out maybe you can use this message to help other people so if you are doing great at making disciples that's awesome we want to applaud you say thank you for being an example of that but here you know what take this content listen for yourself and listen for other people as well and take it to them and say look how are you doing how are you doing at making disciples what motivates you? What objections do you have? Because all of us have objections, whether we admit it or not. So why don't people do, why don't disciples of Jesus do what disciples are supposed to do and make disciples? Why is that? You ever think about that? Why, why do we struggle so much with making disciples? I think there's a lot of objections to us that we really don't answer with God's word. And we're going to talk about five major objections that most of us have. You know, maybe some people don't care about what Jesus commanded, but I don't think that's the case for for most believers. I think most believers actually care about what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said about making disciples. You care about it, but you find when you look at your life that most of the time you're distracted from it. I think sometimes, not only are we distracted, but there's things that we have that are objections that make us fear making disciples or fear stepping out or fear following Jesus in this disciple-making venture that he is on. So ask yourself this morning, what, what is it that keeps me personally, what objections do I have that keep me from making disciples? Ask yourself that question. Think about it for a moment. 
Maybe you have some natural objections that come to mind. If so, you're not unusual. You see, one of the first objections that, that most of us have and that we're intimidated to speak is that we don't want to impose on other people. That's the first objection we're going to look at. How does this passage speak to that? I don't want to impose. You ever have that notion? I don't want to impose. You ever think, I, I just feel uncomfortable kind of imposing my opinion on someone else. And, you know, in this culture, in this day and age, the air we breathe is relativistic. And what I mean by that is, is people believe that, well, whatever's good for you is good for you, and whatever's good for me is good for me, but, but I don't want to hear what you have to say to me because that's not my thing. And that's the air that we breathe. It's a post-truth culture that says, you know what, I don't even know if there is truth. And if there is truth, I have my version of it. There's, there's post-objective truth in the culture that we live in. There's a common refrain that we shouldn't impose what we believe on somebody else. Or maybe you've heard the argument that it's, it's arrogant for a Christian to impose your worldview on somebody else. How dare you to impose your worldview on somebody else who's, who's not a Christian, who comes from a different background, a different country. That you, you just believe that because it's where you were raised. How do you answer those objections? How do you do that from Scripture? How do you have assurance in your own heart and confidence in your own heart? Maybe being told it's, it's wrong to tell people that what they believe is wrong. You ever heard that one? Anybody ever hear that? Hey, how, how dare you tell other people that what, you, what we believe is wrong? How could, you, how could you do that? You know, what, what gives you the right to tell me what's right and wrong or to tell me that I need to repent? You ever heard that objection? Anybody, anybody ever hear that objection at all? Not one person? Okay. All right. You know, what gives you the right to tell me that I need to repent? And the answer is, from this scripture, Jesus gives us the right. And how does he do that? He gives us the right to proclaim his name. There's something very important that we miss sometimes in the Great Commission. And that is really two words, and then they're qualified by where those two words operate. And those two words that we miss a lot of times are all authority. Jesus said all authority. Now think about that for a moment. All authority. So what area, what area of life is there that Jesus can't speak into? Well, the answer is there's none. He has all authority to speak into every area of our lives, of every human on the planet. He says all authority, and authority implies two things. It implies both the right and the power. So Jesus said, I have the right, I have the power to speak over all things. I have the right and power over all things to do as I want. And Jesus says all authority, all authority. Authority in a classroom. The greatest authority in a classroom is not a teacher. The greatest authority at work is not your boss. The greatest authority at school is not your classmate or what people say about you. The greatest authority is not what someone else thinks about you. The greatest authority is really Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me. And then he quantifies it and he explains where that authority is. All authority where? Well, Jesus, do you have all authority just in the church? When people come to this building, Jesus has authority here. And he says, no, all authority. And then he quantifies that and he says, in heaven and on earth. It means everywhere everywhere. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says another little word. He says, therefore, his whole command to make disciples is built on his authority. It's built on the authority that Jesus has, the supremacy over all things. He has authority over all things to be able to even give us a command. So when you're thinking, hey, what right do I have to, to share the good news? You have the right of the supreme ruler of the universe. You can have confidence knowing that Jesus not only says it's okay, 
but he has the authority to call people to repent. So you're not being arrogant and calling people to see who Jesus is. You're actually doing what Jesus has commanded you to do by extending his authority. And you get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of him establishing his kingdom. You know, one of the disciples, when before Jesus died, they were hoping that he would establish his kingdom. And they, were, and, and, and they were asking him questions about when he would establish his kingdom. And then he dies and it freaked them out. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to respond. Wait a minute. This Messiah who was going to come and establish his kingdom and rule and reign, he died. What, what's up with that? And so for three days, they're totally messed up. And on the third day, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he proves that he has authority over death, over hell over the grave, over sin. He proved that he had authority. And, and he proved that he was able to come and establish his kingdom. So disciples, they start this refrain again. And so they're asking this question at the end of Matthew. And then you look in Luke. They're asking a question again in Luke and Acts. And they're saying, well, Jesus, now that you've been resurrected, and, and now that you've proven that you have authority, how are you going to establish your kingdom? And when are you going to establish your kingdom? When is your kingdom going to come? And so Jesus said, you know, it's not for you to know the day or the hour, but... But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and be my witnesses. I want you to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit to go and be my witnesses, to go and be my disciple makers. And that's how I'm going to establish my authority, establish my rule, my reign, my kingdom. We get to be a part of establishing the kingdom of Jesus through and establishing his authority by proclaiming his name, by proclaiming about him. He has all authority over heaven and earth. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. He covers every category there. And then in Colossians 2, in Colossians 2, it's a couple slides ahead just for those running back there. Colossians 2 says, Having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by what? By triumphing over them. Not only was Jesus inherently, did he inherently have all authority as Jesus, the Son of God, but Jesus as man triumphed over all the evil powers of the devil. He, he triumphed over sin. And he nailed sin to the cross. And then look in Philippians 2. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him what? What does it say there? He's given him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue, oh, sorry, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Isn't that cool? There's no realm outside of his authority. It says in verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't think for a moment that you need to be timid when you're encountering someone else in a position of authority. Jesus has been given all authority and he gives you his authority to go and make disciples on that basis, on that secure foundation. Let your confidence be built on his authority, not your own, but on his authority. You have the grace. What gives you the right? Oh, Jesus gives us the right. The Lord of all creation, the guy who made everything that is, who subdued wickedness, who subdued evil, who subdued 
the power of darkness, who has brought us from the kingdom of darkness into light, who has conquered sin. That's the one on whose authority I speak. You speak as an emissary of the one with all authority. What earthly authority is greater than Jesus? The answer is none. What spiritual authority is greater than Jesus? The answer is none. He's the right over every authority, over every legislator, every judge, every mayor, every police officer, every senator, every congressman, every president, every world leader, every king, every person, every being. And he says, now because I have all authority, that should give you assurance. Believers should give you assurance in making disciples. The authority of Jesus has been to give us confidence and assurance in him. So maybe we've not made disciples because we've not trusted and rested in the authority of Jesus over all things. And disciples saw this. We looked the last few weeks about what the disciples saw. They saw Jesus for who he is. Maybe you're not seeing Jesus for who he really is. We've been talking about that on and off for the last couple weeks. To be a disciple means you see Jesus for who he really is. You see that he has all power over everyone. So why would you fear anyone? He's been given power, not only death and hell and the grave, over all the supernatural world. He's been given power to command demons. He's been given power to walk on water and, and, and still nature with one word. He's given power over sickness and over everything we confront. He has power over all. And so we can in confidence step out and say, God, I'm going to trust in you who has authority over all things. I don't have to worry about what anybody thinks about me. I'm gonna step out in faith and be your disciple and make the disciples that you've called me to make. You can have confidence that, you know what, everybody's gonna give an account to Jesus and I want everybody to give an account willingly. I don't want anybody. What gives me authority? I don't want anybody to be forced to bow before Jesus on the final day. I, I, want, I want everybody to bow willingly and, and receive a commendation not to by Jesus' authority, go to hell. Not only that, we, we don't just have the authority, the right given to us by Jesus, we're bound by the authority of Jesus over us as disciples. His authority binds us as disciples. His authority dictates how we should live. Does it dictate how we live? Does he have authority over us? Is it seen in our disciple making? That's a tough question. I don't mean that legalistically, but we're meant to reflect on that. If you are a disciple, then you're a disciple maker. Yeah, there's no such thing as a follower of Jesus who doesn't make followers, because that's what Jesus did. We only have a delegated authority. We're bound by love to tell people about Jesus. You know, if you, if you call yourself a humanitarian or you, you claim to be for social causes and justice and to love people, then you must tell people about Jesus because it is imminently the most humanitarian thing you could ever do to tell them about the most human person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. It's the most just thing you can do to tell them about the justice of God and the love of God is the most loving thing to tell them about with the authority of Jesus. It would be the most unloving, unjust, unhumanitarian thing to let people go to eternal punishment to save them a little discomfort and a little trouble here. It'd be like seeing people who are all happily riding a train car and they don't know that it's about to ride off the cliff and they're all just really enjoying their trip and they're eating and they're drinking, they're having great conversation, they're relaxed, they're comfortable and yet you have an opportunity to board that train and to say, hey, get off! But you don't because you think, you know what, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. But you've been given authority specifically to help them 
get off the train to love God. And because Jesus has been given all authority, we should want everyone to willingly come under his authority. And and that also speaks to the fact that there is no culture, no religious background, no ethnic group, no people over which we can't speak into. Not because of us, but because Jesus has that authority. It's not arrogant to point people to the truth of the one who has all authority and has been given this authority to us to tell people about him. You need to ask yourself, not why should I impose the authority of Jesus on other people, but why would I impose my authority on Jesus? That's what we do when we say, yeah, I don't really want to speak that. You're imposing your authority on Christ. Well, the second objection to making disciples that a lot of us have is, I don't know where to go. I don't don't know who my disciples are. I don't know how to to make disciples because I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. How does scripture speak to that? I don't know where to go. I don't know know who the disciples are I'm called to make. Well, look at Matthew 28, 19. He says, go therefore make disciples. Then he tells us what the context is, where that place is, where to go. He says, of all nations. Now, the word for nations there, it, it means ethnicities or all people groups that are not Israel, not God's original people. It's, it's all groups of people, no matter what their ethnicity, all ethnic groups, all nations, all people, all tribes, all gatherings of people. You know, it can also mean a multitude, a, a company, a troop, a swarm. <laughs> If you are around a, a swarm of people or a company of people or a troop or a tribe or any kind of ethnicity or any other people group, then you have your where. You don't have to go somewhere. Now, God might call you to go to another place to make disciples of nations elsewhere. But you know what? He's called all people in every nation to make disciples of all nations. And don't get the notion that, you know what? I live in Greenville. We're the buckle of the Bible belt. Everybody here has heard the gospel. Really? Have they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of his grace, or have they heard a gospel of works? Now, I'm not slamming everybody, but, you know, the, the Pharisees talked about coming to God through works, but that wasn't the good news. Has your neighbor really heard the good news, the liberating news that we've been saved by God's good grace, not of works, thus we, any man should boast, but we've been saved by the works of Jesus Maybe you feel like, you know what, in America, there's so many churches and everybody's heard already and so I, don't, I just don't know where to go because my neighbors have already heard about Jesus. Really, do they follow him? You have your where already. If there are people around you in two categories, here's, here's one of two categories I'm gonna give you people where you need to go. Either people who do not know Jesus personally, that's your where, you need to go there, wherever that is, or people who know Jesus but need to grow in following him. This making disciples applies to both categories. It applies to both believers who need to continue to grow. We're called to make disciples inside the church and outside the church both. So you're where, although you might feel like it's limited, open your eyes. You might have more places where you can go than you know. Maybe there's people at your work or clients or customers they need to hear a word about God. Maybe it's at school. That's your where. If, if you're in school, students, whether that is homeschool and you've got siblings or neighbors or whether that's online school and you chat with people online or whether that is public school or private school or whatever you go to school, students, if you go somewhere, you attend school, that's your where right now. I, I guarantee you have somebody you know, some classmate, some friend, some sibling who either does not know Jesus personally or is not following him 
fully. That's not bad. It's just they need to continue to grow. Like all of us need to continue to grow. By the way, all of us are called to be disciples at the same time we're called to make disciples. It means we're all both growing and helping other people grow. And helping people know Jesus to begin with. You know, if you want to look for where, where do I go? Look for opportunities. You know, maybe, maybe you or in school and you see somebody across the lunchroom and they look like they're alone or they need a friend, go to them and ask them questions. Ask them how they're doing. Share the hope for, of Jesus that lies within you. If you are at work and you have a job, if you have a coworker and they're struggling or they're, they're having a hard time, ask them about what's going on and share the reason for the hope that lies within you. You know, maybe it's your younger siblings or your neighbors that you can disciple. Or maybe if you're staying home with your kids, you know, your kids are meant to be disciples. But you know what? You can actually invite other people into your home. If you're, if you're in the place and you think, you know what? I'm at home right now and my primary place is to disciple my kids. That's true. But you know what? It's not limited to just that. I can invite other people into my home. Yeah, maybe I can have somebody over, put kids down from a nap and, and have a coffee. Or maybe, maybe I can invite somebody over to do a chore. Whether you're a guy or a girl, you know, you invite somebody over to, to do a chore with you. Maybe ask your neighbor for help and ask them what's going on in their lives. There are so many ways you can invite people into your where, which is right where you are. You know, don't try to look for these great programs or things to do to make disciples because it won't last for, for one the where we have to make disciples, if you say, I don't know where to go, it's what are you doing in your life right now? Invite people into that. What are you doing in your life right now? Talk about Jesus in that context. Where are you struggling? Tell people where you're struggling and then tell them how you're seeing Jesus in your struggles. Whether it's in the church or outside the church. Maybe, maybe your neighbor's like, how are you doing? And you're like, you know, I've had a cruddy week. You know, this happened, this happened. You know, I yelled at my kids, yelled at my wife. But you know what? My hope is that I've been forgiven by God, and so I'm doing, I'm doing better. I'm doing okay, but you know, I need to keep reminding myself where my hope is. You can tell your unbelieving friend that just like you would tell your believing friend that. If you genuinely believe it. And if you genuinely believe it, why wouldn't you? That's your where. That's our where. Who's God put in your life already to influence for Jesus? Who can you teach to follow him in some area to build a relationship with to inside the church or outside of the church? We all need to be encouraged and exhorted as Christians. And so if, if you don't know a ton of unbelievers, get, to, get into context where you can get to know some unbelievers. I mean, put yourself in a wise place. Don't be unwise. But think about how can I encourage and exhort other believers maybe to build them up? Is there a mature believer that I can list if I have questions about things? You know what? Maybe I don't know where to go and I can ask people, hey, even ideas, bounce them off each other. Talk about it in care group this, this week. Well, third major objection you might hear or you might have had is that somebody you know might have is that I don't know what it looks like. We talked a little bit about that already. I don't know what it looks like. He says, make disciples in verse 28, 19. Make disciples of all nations. He tells us a little bit of what it looks like. He begins to. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting he talks about baptism, but I think, I think he's saying baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not just because we're supposed to go and baptize them, but because it, it helps us reflect on what baptism really is. What is baptism? You know, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, I hope that you have been baptized. If, 
If not, I'd encourage you to pursue baptism. I'd encourage you, because Jesus commands us to repent and be baptized, so I'd encourage you to repent if you've not done that, but if you have done that and not been baptized, we have a little pool right up here. We'd love to have you baptized as a public profession of faith. That's what baptism is. It's not a program. Baptism is where we make a a profession of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, where we confess that our faith is not on ourselves, and baptism is a wonderful picture of being dead to sin and saying, you know what, I'm now dead to my old way of life, and I'm going to be raised to life in Jesus Christ, and that's where my faith, my hope is, is in his life. And so in baptism, I'm declaring that's what's happened. And I know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit's involved God the Father loved me so much that he sent God the Son to take my place. And that Jesus loves me so much that he didn't leave me alone. But he says, hey, when I go, I'm going to send someone better, the Comforter. He'll be with you. And so when Jesus says, I'll be with you forever, his Holy Spirit is always with us. So we've been baptized in, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Tell people about it. Tell people about it. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's your mission. You're called to be a disciple maker. Look at, look at Paul's example of what it looks like. In, in 2 Timothy 1.13, here's what the apostle Paul said it looked like. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It is not overly complex. He gives us a really simple example of what it looks like. Follow the pattern of the sound words what sound words are you talking about? Scripture. Follow the pattern of the sound words. You guys, everybody here has a Bible or access to a Bible. And if you do not, we will gladly give you a Bible. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words of Scripture. He said that you've heard from me. And so what does it mean? So we have a pattern here of following the Scripture and telling other people about the Scripture. This is what it looks like. A pattern of consuming the Bible, telling people the Bible. He says, you've heard the same words, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was living out as demonstrated his, his life of faith, his life of love in Jesus. It doesn't have to be a program. You don't need the 16 steps to disciple making. Here's what you can do. Read God's word. Tell it to other people. Have faith in Jesus. Love Jesus. And then share that faith and love with other people. That's what it looks like. You don't, you know, lower the bar for yourself. The apostle bar, Paul, that's what he did. And it seemed to work pretty well for Paul. Disciple maker, you have to think about how, do, how am I living? How do I speak? He says, follow the pattern of the sound words. Well, think about your words. What are your words like around the people you're around? How do you speak about other people? When you're around people, do you speak negatively about other people? Do you talk about them to, you know, say, hey, I just want to get your advice, your perspective. So-and-so said this to me. I just want your perspective on that. Don't be deceived by that. That's not sound words. That's not giving an example of Jesus. Now, it's not wrong to get input or advice from people, but you know what? So often what we, we do is we use it as an excuse to speak about somebody or to kind of get something off of our chest. As a disciple maker, how do you speak to other people? Is the content of your speech, is it critical? Is it loving? Is the content of your speech glorifying to God? Are people more aware of your gratitude or your critique? Are you gracious or are you harsh? Are you snide and sarcastic or mocking? 
Or are you seeking to build people up in love? Follow the pattern of sound words. Being sound words from the Bible, but sound words that, that he says you've heard from me, that we speak those words. We speak words soundly. And don't be deceived. You know, James 1, 26, he tells us, if anybody thinks he is religious, but doesn't bridle the tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Have a faith that's good to imitate. He says, in, in the faith and love that are in Jesus. Not for show, but wholeheartedly be devoted to Jesus. And you know what? Don't be afraid to share the fact that you're weak sometimes and that you're weak in the faith with other believers, with unbelievers. You know, this, this, today, this week I was really struggling. You can, tell, you can tell your coworker that who's not a believer just as well as you can tell your fellow Christian at small group. But you know what? I have faith in God that he's over these things even if I don't understand it. Share the reason for the faith and the, the love that you have for God. I, I, you know what? I, I, all these things might not be going well, but you know what? I am, I am sure that Jesus loves me because he's died for me, and I know that he's not going to withhold any good thing from me because God didn't spare his son. He freely gave him up for us all, so I know that I can trust in the love of God in the midst of difficulties. You can share those things. That's what it looks like. You don't need to be perfect, but you need to be willing to for Jesus to perfect you in whatever way he wants. Making disciples, I, I love a quote by Francis Chan. He says, making disciples is all about seeing people transformed by the power of God's word. And if you want to see that happen in others, you need to be experiencing such transformation yourself. Are you being transformed by sound words? Are you sharing those sound words with other people? Well, maybe another objection you might have is that I don't know how to teach. Maybe when you hear Jesus' command, teaching them to obey, you think, I don't know how to teach. You know, I feel like that all the time. I don't know how to teach. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. A different setting. I don't know how to teach people about Jesus. What am I supposed to tell people about Jesus? You know, and, and, and some of that is because we see examples of people who seem like they're superstars and we don't hear the reality is that they struggle too with teaching. I don't care who the best teacher is you know, they will share with you that they struggle at times feeling like, I don't feel like I can teach at all. I don't know how to teach. You know, I had a, I had a 10th grade teacher. He was, this will be dating myself there. Um, there was an old movie, I think it was back in the late 80s, called Dead Poets Society. Anybody here over 40 remember that? I'm sorry, for everybody under 40, I apologize. It's not, a, it's not the best movie, but it's a movie about this coach who's inspirational, and he makes these kids want to like stand up on their desks and cheer. Oh, captain, my captain. He's this wonderful teacher, and I had a teacher like that in 10th grade. And the funny thing is, though, you know what? I don't remember anything he taught me. But I do remember my alphabet that my kindergarten teacher taught me. And I don't know her name. I remember some of the, the most simple things that teachers who really I, I've completely forgotten have taught me. Don't feel like you have to be a superstar teacher. It might just be the alphabet you have about knowing Jesus that really makes all the difference. And whether somebody remembers it or not, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I'm grateful for my kindergarten teacher. You know, when I was peeling off glue dried on my hand and eating it, somehow she taught me the alphabet. I did that. It was weird, I know. Um, <laughs> come on, everybody did the weird things in kindergarten, right? I was grossed out by people eating their boogies, but I ate glue off my hand. I mean, go, go figure, right? 
But it was the essential things that I learned that were foundational that I built on and it caused me to grow in knowledge. And you don't have to have the best techniques. You don't have to be the most inspiring person. Just teach them the ABCs about knowing Jesus. You know what? And God will use that and build on that. And somehow on the final day, you'll be able to say, you know, thanks be to God that I was able to teach them some foundations here that they grew on. And God will reward you on that final day. That's really cool. It says that he'll reward you for the, the works that he's done in you and through you. And it looks like, you know, if you don't know how to teach, just speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15 tells us, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's how we teach. We, we speak the truth, but there's a really big condition here in love. It's really easy to get something off your chest. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling it like it is. Right? Well, you're not loving them. You're teaching them that Jesus is mean, that God doesn't, isn't kind, but speak the truth in love. And that's how we'll all grow up. That's how you can teach. For a fellow believer, build them up in the love of God. For people who aren't believers, tell them about the truth, that you love them so much that you want them to know the truth so they can come to know Jesus. You know, how is your love for others seen right now? Are you speaking the truth in love? Is anywhere you need to repent of selfishness or self-centeredness or or pride. If so, here's what you can do. Here's how you can teach somebody, right? Unbeliever, believer-like. If there's an area where you've been self-sufficient or proud or self-righteous or maybe you've doubted or struggled, think about those areas and say, okay, God, I want to confess those to you and repent. And part of that repentance might look like teaching someone else through that and sharing, look, here, I've been self-righteous. You know what? I was trusting in my own abilities. You can share that with a believer, unbeliever-like. It's going to affect them equally. It's going to say, whoa, wait a minute, I, I, I want to have that kind of humility. Practically look to pray for others, care for others, serve them. Our teaching is really about all about sharing sound words. It's by example. Sharing our faith, sharing our love. The fifth and final objection we're going to address, the last one, don't worry, the last objection we're going, to, we're going to address is the one I think most of us feel. Most of us have this objection and we say, I don't feel like I can you know, Jesus says to make disciples, but I don't feel like I can. I'm not in a good place right now. I feel like I've got problems. I've got struggles. I've, I, I've got sin in my life. I feel like I've not grown to a place I need to grow. I'm not really that mature. I'm not really that smart. I'm not really whatever. You're thinking, I don't feel like I can. You're, everybody ever feel like, you just, I don't feel like I can? Anybody feel like that? I'm too weak. I don't have the time. I'm too busy. I don't feel like I can. You know, even the apostle Paul, the perhaps the greatest apostle that lived, he needed prayer to be able to be bold to share the gospel. I, I, love, I love his example in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, 19, he says, pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words might be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Why do he ask for prayer? Because he needed it. He needed it. He wasn't doing that just as a good example. He was praying that I want to be able to open my mouth and not be in fear. Sometimes fear keeps us from making disciples. Pray. Say, God, I pray that you'd enable me to open my mouth so that I can be your ambassador if, if, in chains if need be, that I might declare your good news fearlessly. 
He needed prayer. He was tempted not to be bold. We're, we're tempted to fear. He was tempted to fear. We're tempted to fear. I'm tempted. Everybody I know is tempted to fear at some point in talking to an unbeliever about Jesus. I don't know anybody on the planet, no matter how accomplished of an evangelist they are, that they don't at some point encounter that I don't feel like I can do this. And to some degree, they're right. You're right. I'm right. We can't. But it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, he told them, he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. I don't feel like I, can, I, feel like I could do it, but you know what? I, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then I saw the power of God work. That's what he tells the Corinthians. We'll be tempted to fear and be weak and tremble, and it's okay, expect that. It's okay. It's okay to actually tremble, be weak, and to fear. Just confess those things and trust in the Lord. Ask for prayer. Step out in faith. Declare the good news. You know, the amazing truth is not, you can't do it on your own, but here's the really cool thing. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. No Christian is on their own. No matter if you have any other person with you when you're sharing the gospel or not and you're surrounded by hostile unbelievers who are threatening to kill you, you are not alone. Look at what Matthew 28, 20 says at the end of the verse. Look at what Jesus said. He gives us a promise that should give us assurance and we say, I don't feel like I can. Jesus says, well, hey, behold, or look, hello, look. I'm with you always. I am with you always. You know the same one who's got authority over all things? I'm with you. So he meets us in our fears when we don't think we can. He meets us in our inabilities, in our weaknesses. And he meets us and he says, I've got all, I have all authority, but, but hey, behold, take a look. Hello, hey, behold, I'm with you. And I'm with you always. There'll never be a time when I'm not with you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age until you die and then you're with me forever face to face. He says, behold, and I, I love that word. It's, it, it's the picture of, and if you've ever been to the beach and you go to the, you get, get up early in the morning and you go to see the sunrise and the sun just kind of goes over the water and it's like, whoa, this majesty, the splendor just lights up the whole horizon. And you behold the majesty, the splendor of the sun and you feel its warmth and you revel in it. Jesus is saying, behold in that sense. Behold, I am with you. Behold, I am the one who has authority and power over all things. Behold, I am. See, the great one, Jesus, the the son of God, the one who brings life and health and warmth to all who trust in him. Behold, I am with you always. And he'll enable us In every area of our lives, he is with us, even when we feel like we can't. Jesus can, and he is with us always. He'll enable us. In in Mark 13, verse 9, he is talking to his disciples. He says, you know what? You will have times in your life when you face extreme hardships, and you don't feel like you can speak at all. You might even have times when they carry you away. Look in verse 9. It says, you'll stand before governors and kings. He says, for my sake, to bear witness. Why are we standing before governor's king? To bear witness to them. And he says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial, he's talking about the worst case scenario, right? When they bring you to trial and they deliver you over to be killed, to punish, to be punished, he says, do not be anxious beforehand. Don't, don't worry about what you're gonna say. And he says, but say whatever's given to you in that hour, 
for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I don't feel like I can, but you know what Jesus is saying? I'll be with you always. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just open your mouth. I'll give you words. Say whatever's given. I love it. Say whatever is given to you in an hour. It's not a recipe. We don't need a recipe. We need, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on Jesus, that he will. He says he's always with us. Do you believe that? Hebrews 13.5 says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, I think everybody knows the, there's a game that's on this afternoon. It's called the Super Bowl. Even if you don't watch football, you had to have heard about it. If you're from another place, there's something called the Super Bowl. And it happens every year, and I'm not really sure what the big deal is. And I know I'm un-American for saying that. Um, but it happens every year, you know? And it's just this pro thing. But it's a big deal to a lot of people. And the Super Bowl's today. But imagine if when today, and by the way, I, you know, we're having a lot of people over to house for the Super Bowl. And it's a great time of fellowship when you can enjoy the game, enjoy competition. Those are all things we can enjoy for the glory and good of, uh, of people everywhere. And we can give honor to God in the midst of the Super Bowl. But imagine if I was watching the Super Bowl today, you're watching the Super Bowl today, and you think, you know what, hey, I have something to do with that score. I mean, don't think you do. You might get really invested, and, and you, might, you might even like the Patriots for some reason. I don't know why, but you might like the Patriots. Or you might like the Eagles. I don't like either one, so I'm good. Um, but you might feel really invested and get really emotional and attached to you when they make a score, but you'd be delusional if you thought you had anything to do with them scoring. You know, maybe you can wear some special socks or a special sweater that you wear every time and they seem to win whenever that happens, whatever your luck, good luck charm might be. But don't be deceived. You're not playing the game. Just because you're cheering on somebody else's game, don't think that you're, you're actually playing. As Christians, we're, we're not to hear a message and because you experience conviction and you agree with it um, and then you you see that God is doing a good work in other places and he's making disciples don't assume that 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 you're actually in the game don't assume you can cheer people on I, I would encourage you cheer your fellow believers on partner together with them though even better don't be an armchair disciple coaching other people about how to make other disciples Get in the game. It's actually more fun to play than to watch it. You know, I, I don't really love watching sports as much. I know that's really un-American as well. I don't really love watching sports and, and on TV. I'd rather play something. I'd rather get engaged and get in there, mix it up, and then feeling like I accomplished something, I did something. I, you know, I love competition. I'm not, I'm not anti-competition. I hope, I hope it's not simply so, but I love beating other people. It's a lot of fun. That's not right, I know. But, um, you know, I, I think it's something that God has given to us. He loves us seeing victories. But you know who, what the best victory is? Is to seeing Jesus' victory, and then he says, hey, be a part of it. I want you to share the gospel and see what, see what together, as you share the gospel, I'll use the words that you speak and I'll make people alive. You know, if you're not on the field, though, you're not going to get hit. You won't get knocked down. But you also won't know the personal joy of playing. 
Maybe you have the joy of blocking for somebody else who gets to share the gospel or seeing somebody come to Christ through your own labors. What, what other work will remain eternally? You know, at the end of your life, and when you go and stand before Jesus, you know, all of our life is meant to be worshiped to him, but there is a, a reward that's unique of seeing someone else come to Jesus Christ through you being able to share words with them. You know, I can think from the first person I ever spoke to about Jesus when I was four or five years old. I'm looking forward to her being in heaven. I, I, I have confidence she'll be there. But I also have confidence too with the last person that I walked through. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything glorious. I just said, hey, you ever think about like reading one of the gospels or something? They're like, no. He wasn't a believer. Hey, would, you want to you get together and do that sometime? Uh, sure. So we did. And as we read through the book of Mark, he had a lot of questions and God opened up his eyes and let him see God, let him respond to Jesus. And, and there is nothing like the joy of seeing, seeing God at work in other people's lives or the joy of seeing somebody grow in Christ and have confidence in him as you shared a timely word in season to a fellow believer. You know, God has given us a great reason to be here, to, to glorify him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him by bringing other people to him. He's given us a mission. A mission as a church, and a mission as his people, a mission as a disciple. He's given us a mission, and we can actually accomplish it through him, and how cool is that? He enables us to come alongside another human and see them follow Jesus and hope in him, and he's given us this great joy in knowing him that he says, you know what, you get to see other people know the same joy. No follower of Christ is meant to be on the sidelines. Think about the words of Jesus, his last command that he spoke. Say, am I taking those to heart? Wherever I work or play or study. And do I know the joy of making disciples? And pray that you would know that joy. Pray that God would give you the joy of seeing the people follow him, other people grow in him, and, and knowing that your work will endure because it's not built on wood, hay, and stubble, but built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Know that your life has meaning and purpose in him, and that we get to fulfill a mission in God. Amen? Well, let's pray. Go have the band come up. Can we sing that uh, You Alone Can Rescue song again? And that was um, a wonderful, faith-filled song. I love to to make our declaration to. It, we, we don't have faith in our ability to save anybody, but Jesus can. And we get to partner together with him in, in rescuing people. So let's pray and then we'll sing that together. Father.